Welcome to New Hope's Sermon of the Week. We truly hope you're blessed as you listen to this week's message. Well, all right. I'm going to try and do a lot of damage. I got 40 minutes. Steve doesn't know what I'm talking about, which is a high level of trust. I want to get closer. All right. So I uh, have been all over since you last saw me. Um, I had to write a little list of where I've been since you saw me. I was in Argentina for two weeks. We took a group of 10 students with us from all over. We had uh, one from Switzerland, one from South Africa, all over the U.S., um, one from Guatemala, a couple from up in, uh, far up in Canada. So it's been, it, that was an amazing trip. I'll tell you a little bit more about some of the things that we're seeing God do in some of these places. Uh, we also had our West Coast Summit. Our summits, uh, we've had two here. Um, our third one is actually coming up this October. And uh, we're, we, we were calling them our graduations, but then people who thought, well, I'm not graduating, so I shouldn't go. Uh, they got confused. Our actual goal is to just gather everybody who loves the kingdom, the apostolic, the new covenant, and to come and be a part of this. So it's not to exclude anybody who's not a student. It's for everybody. It's an open event. And so we changed the name to Summits. And so we had our West Coast Summit, which was in Sacramento, California. And uh, Ivan Roman, do you guys remember Ivan? He was here last year. Amazing. He came and uh, was a part of, of that uh, then I went on to New Zealand, and we had a New Zealand summit for New Zealanders and the Australians, and we had about 100 people gather, 100 students gather there. It was tremendous. And then I went to North Carolina. Do you guys remember uh, Rich Oliver? Uh, Rich Oliver is, heads up a network called The River that New Hope has been growing in relationship with, Welton Academy has been growing in relationship with. It's a network of about 500 or so ministries that are all ordained or licensed through this network. And Rich Oliver is sort of the, the, the father of that, that movement, that network. And uh, so we went and spoke. I was with Mahesh Shavda and uh, Trisha Frost. Do you guys remember Jack Frost? Not the Christmas <laughs> character, but uh, yeah. Trisha Frost, his wife, was there. It was tremendous. Uh, so then I got home, and we just had our 12-year anniversary last weekend. So having a wonderful time. Just good to be home, and good to be with you guys. And, um, well, I wanted to tell you a little bit. It's so encouraging to travel and see what's happening in the earth. I, I don't know how you could hold a bad eschatology uh, unless you just stayed in one tiny little church that taught bad eschatology all the time. Because once you start to travel and see what God's doing in the earth, it kind of disrupts that. Um, I'll give you an example. When I was in Argentina, I'm talking with one of the senior pastors of a church of, it's like two or 3,000 people. And one of the things he was telling me was he said, uh, if, if I got somebody saved... Uh, I, I would always be very careful where I sent them to church. I was like, well, okay, what do you mean? I'm thinking he's thinking like the way we do. We're, we're super cautious about their theology or, or things like that. And he said, well, if I got somebody saved 20 blo- 21 blocks from my church, 
I would send them to the next closest church. Okay. What are you saying? He's saying that they have a 20-block radius per church. They're working in such unity among all the churches that if you get somebody saved within 19 blocks of your church, they'll go to your church. If you get somebody saved 21 blocks, you'll send them 19 blocks away to the next church that's the next closest. He said when he visits North America, he's blown away by all these churches piled on top of each other. Like one's across the street. Um, But this is our American phenomena that's so different than in, in Argentina, for example, where they're, they're working in such a unity that if you got somebody saved that far from your church, you'd send them to the next church. And every church has a 20-block radius. And they had a great move of God that started uh, in the 1950s with a man named Tommy Hicks, tremendous revivals that took place. And then after that, in the 19, early 1980s, Carlos Anacondia, who's now in his uh, late 70s, uh, and he, in the early 80s, took, took the country through his crusades from 20% Christian to 80% Christian. Transformation of a massive country through this evangelism. Evangelism is this grace that's on this whole country uh, down there. This is, uh, it was tremendous. We actually had an opportunity to go meet with him, and I thought we'd walk into his office and maybe he'd just lay hands on us and we would be out in about five minutes. And he spent an hour and a half and let us film while he shared his heart about evangelism and the younger generation and how to have the heart of an evangelist. And it was, it was a tremendous honor. I got to meet uh, their, the, the, probably the premier evangelist now of the younger generation. He's in his early 40s. His name's Ali Gomez. And his, his wife had started, uh, this is all public information, she had started a, a ministry to drug and abused uh, youth. And she had been through a horrible background herself that she had been very public about, sharing her testimony. And because of this, uh, she started this organization, and it's done so much uh, good for the city of, of Buenos, Aires, Buenos Aires that they actually have uh, given her um, kind of like what you'd consider the Nobel Peace Prize. But it's, it's for their country. And so she's earned this, this incredible honor. She's met the president. She's on the news regularly. And uh, it's to the point where the government actually paid and gave them a million and a half, uh, one and a half million dollars to do a crusade. The government is paying for their crusade. And they have, they've done this several years in a row, and they'll have about 500,000 youth show up. And 80% of them are not believers. They're reaching not just a bunch of Christian... This isn't a Christian youth festival. This is non-believers that they're pulling in. And they tell the young people... They tell the the Christian young people, go get six or seven of your non-Christian friends and bring them to this event. And so they're drawing in these massive crowds that are, are getting reached. And then what happens when they get saved? You send them to the church within 20 blocks of their house. So they actually have a really good plan for this. So it's so encouraging to see the things that are happening in the earth right now. And I'm always woke up when I go and I see things. Um, 
I, I want to remind you guys too, and I think I say this every time I get up, but uh, people hear about New Hope everywhere I go. I, I brag about you guys all the time, and I don't, I, if anything, I just want to remind you of what we have, what we have here that we may be taking for granted. And maybe you've gone here longer than I've been alive. Uh, there are a few. And I, I just know that it can be so easy to uh, be that, that frog in the pot that's sort of adjusted to the water as it starts to boil, that you, you become numb to the fact of what we actually have. And we become unaware that new hope is growing, new hope is, is changing, it's shifting, it's improving. We have excited new people that are coming in all the time, and especially in the last year, things have really been moving, maybe more than you've realized. Now, if you don't realize, you can look down, and you can see the carpet. Now, that, that's a real clear one. Or you can look at the, your legs and the wonderful chair that you're sitting on, and you can start to hear that, that things are improving. Even the sound equipment, everything has been improving around us. And that's just one small sample of what's actually happening in the natural, but it's also happening in the spirit, too. Things have been growing so much. I just wanted to remind you to start off with, uh, one of the things that I talk about when I travel is the family atmosphere that I feel here. I've traveled as an itinerant for, uh, I think it's been about eight years now, and for five to six of those years, we'll say five of those years, uh, before New Hope, I would travel, but I didn't have a place that I missed when I traveled. Now I do. Now when I travel, it's like, I'm missing another Sunday at New Hope. I wonder what Ralph is doing this week. I <laughs> Thank goodness for podcasts, right? So um, our worship is amazing. The last few years, we've been really focused on identity. I know uh, there's, there's all, there, nobody said it in a while, but there's been a joke that even as we've started to understand identity and some of these other perspectives of the New Covenant, that it's even impacted what songs we choose. And so, uh, thankfully, the Weltons come late sometimes to worship, so we can slip in certain songs before they get here, because the New Covenant. And uh, so we've, we've just had an ongoing joke about that, like, I don't know about that song, because it says that line, you know the one, whichever song that is. One of the other things we have here is we have a leadership team that's humble, and works together. And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about the leadership team on staff here, the pastors, the pastoral meetings. I've just noticed something that I, that I don't see everywhere I go is that there's a humility and a real teamwork that takes place among the leadership here. Anybody will empty a garbage can. Anybody will serve. Anybody will greet everybody. Um, one of the things that really leads to is that there's not a hierarchy. Everybody gets to play. So if somebody wants to come share a testimony, I could listen to Sam Pernicano's <laughs> testimonies all day. That was amazing. Um, just, we have that kind of openness where there's uh, a, an ability for anybody to prophesy, anybody to share a testimony, and these are really good. And I, I think sometimes we may forget uh, because we get used to it. This is really good, though. I'll throw in, too, another one that we are not struggling with, but a lot of people struggle with, is gender equality. We just don't have that issue. 
which is great, which is really a struggle some places. Even places that want gender equality haven't figured out how to like do it. I don't, I don't know why you have to work to do it, but you just do it. But they're, they're still working through the issue. Even if they're not resisting it, they're still working through it. One of the other things, too, is freedom. We have a very free church here. I've never had, I've never had uh, Ralph come and throw some sort of legalism on me. I, I haven't had anybody else here do that. And uh, it's amazing to see that we've broken out of that legalistic control structure that people try to use on each other. And it's, it's just tremendous. So I brag about you guys. I wanted to tell you why, what everybody else gets to hear. So over the last few years, we've really focused on our core values as, as a group. Um, we've been strengthening the leadership team. We've been, uh, when we have guest speakers come into town, we take those core leadership members and, and get them poured into by the guest speakers. Um, we've had... Uh, uh, just incredible speakers, actually, in the last few years. Some things have really stepped up as far as who we've who we've been able to bring in and and expose uh, expose to everyone here. And um, we've had major transition. We've had people coming in. We've had people going out. Uh, people going out to do amazing things, and uh, it's it's just exciting. So, all right. But where are we going today? <laughs> or where are we going in the future, which is what I like to talk about. There's a basic thought that, as a Christian, is kind of take it for granted, and it should be. Uh, it's the idea that we are to be like Jesus. You guys remember the bracelets, right? <laughs> 1 John 2, 6 says it clearly. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to be in him must live as Jesus did. So we're to live as Jesus did. Now, there's lots of opinions about that. Oh, Jesus was so nice. He's meek and mild. He's gentle. He's... All of these things. He's one who binds up hearts and he's a comforter and he's a this and this and this. And that's one side of him. And then there's the other side, the bold and fiery and he comes back with a sword coming out of his mouth and, you know, you could get lopsided on either direction, okay? That's not... Neither of those are the picture I'm trying to paint today. But I want to paint something. I want to talk about the uh, Jesus the Apostle. Now, that's something we don't hear about very much. But it's actually one of his titles. He's called in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Hmm. So if I were to ask the question a few minutes ago, who's the first apostle? we'd probably start racking our brain to which of the 12 did Jesus ask first. But the reality is Jesus is the first apostle. He himself was the first apostle. Then he picked 12 other guys and turned them into apostles. But he's the first one. And if we're to be like Jesus, 
Jesus is an apostle. So there's a word that's become very popular nowadays. It's apostolic. Ick. Well, it's kind of the idea of being apostle-like. Not apostle-lite. Apostle-like. Being like an apostle. Well, you are called to be like an apostle. Jesus. Does that make sense? So we all have this call to be apostolic, to be apostle-like. So we find that, that Jesus himself is an apostle, and he reproduces himself in the 12 apostles. If you're going through uh, the Gospels, you get to Luke chapter 6, and it says Jesus prayed all night long, and then he took from his disciples, because he had a larger group, he designated 12 of them as apostles. So he picks out 12 of his disciples and says, you are apostles. Now he makes them apostles before they've done any apostling. They actually haven't done anything at this point. They have done nothing. And he says, you're an apostle. Now that is so different from the body of Christ where we don't know who is an apostle, what is an apostle, who can be one, if they're qualified yet. We would train them for three and a half years before considering them becoming apostles. Jesus just, you're an apostle. And then he trains these crazy guys for three and a half years. It's so different. It's really scary. I don't want to do it the Jesus way. That is scary what he just did. And yet, that's, that's our model. Whoa, okay. So... He makes these 12 guys apostles. Then he starts to build them into apostles. Now, what about the early church? Did he just build 12 and then he was done and then those guys all got martyred and then all the apostles were gone? Well, uh, if you grew up with that type of background, uh, you, you may have a hard time with this. But the, the uh, example that we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, Acts 2, verse 42 says, and this is talking about the 3,000 that just got saved on the day of Pentecost. So they just got saved. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. So we're to be like Jesus, who is an apostle. He takes 12 guys, turns them into apostles. Then you get 3,000 people saved. What's their model? They devote themselves to the apostles, teaching. So now they're following the model too. So these 3,000 people are going to be apostolic. They're going to be apostle-like. This is their model. This is what they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Hmm. So this changes our model a little bit because for many of us, if our goal is to follow the bracelet and be like Jesus, and the model in our mind is Jesus is a really nice dude who heals people sometimes and likes to multiply food. If that's the model that we're trying to replicate, then we will continue to just be really nice Christians. I'm not saying be the fiery sword out of the mouth 
That's not the goal. That's not what I'm saying be that either. But what I want to talk to you about today is having an apostolic mindset. Because if we're supposed to be like the chief apostle, if we're supposed to follow and be devoted to the apostles' teaching, if we're meant to be following that model, if we want to be like that, that that's something different than some of the other models. Let me, let me say it this way. The model that we see in the New Testament primarily, we're reading every of these New Testament books is written by an apostle. So they have an apostle flavor to them. You're, none of these are written by pastors or evangelists or prophets. None of the New Testament letters are written by anything other than apostles or transcribers who are working with an apostle. So basically, we have a huge ap- apostle filter coming through the New Testament. And for many of us, uh, we, we've sat under pastors or prophets or teachers for most of our Christian life. And so we've been modeling after the leader in front of us. Like Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So we imitate the leader in front of us. And if you imitate a pastoral model, it makes you a person full of character. It makes your your family thrive. It makes your, your work thrive. People like working for you and with you. And life is really good. And it's a good pastoral healthy model. And that's great. But sometimes it doesn't stir you up to go out. Sometimes it doesn't provoke you. Sometimes it doesn't push you in the way that a prophet might or an apostle might or an evangelist might. This is why many of us, we get so provoked when we see someone like Todd White, right? Uh, For me, I had that provoking for a long time. And it was like, oh, what what is it about him that so stirs people up? It's because we're seeing a picture of somebody who is a powerful evangelist And many of us have been raised in pastor models. And so an evangelist provokes us and we don't get around them very often. But now because of social media and conferences and things like that, we're being exposed to things. If you disagree, just nod your head like this for me. (laughs) If you love what I'm saying, blanks, stare, (laughs) stare blankly. So uh, Ephesians 2.20 says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. This is a foundational thing that I want to talk to us about because sometimes we forget that our goal is actually to be like an apostle, Jesus. And an apostle, that becomes a challenge for us if we're not living in an apostolic way. Now, give you some pictures of what that can look like. But in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10, by the grace God has given me, which is an apostle grace, I laid a foundation as a wise master builder and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. I love that last little bit. Actually, the whole thing is, is profound when you look at it, but 
that build with care. I want us to build with care. And for, for us here, uh, we have to look at what is the foundation we're building on. If we're going to build with care, and we're going to build on a foundation, well, what's the foundation? Apostles and prophets. Ephesians 2.20. So if we're going to build on their foundation, and we're going to see Jesus is the apostle, then he put 12 together, then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, we're going to go after this, we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to build with care and build on that foundation, we're going to have an apostolic church. Woo! What does that mean? Now, I talked about this, I don't know, two-plus months ago, whenever I spoke about the fivefold, that everybody over mm, 40 uh, or 45, will say, freaks out when they hear apostolic because the previous generation went through a horrible experience with the shepherding movement or discipleship movement or the fathering movement or whatever it was called when you went through it. I'm really sorry, but we're not going to do that again. I know none of you are disappointed, but... It was obviously horrible mistakes that took place. And when I say apostolic, I do not mean control. I do not mean hierarchy. I do not mean an abusive, manipulative, legalistic structure. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to Jesus. I don't know how we got those two separated, but Jesus is an apostle. And if he's the foundation and we're going to build on him and we're going to build with care, we're going to be like Jesus, who is an apostle. Now, he also is a shepherd, so he's also a pastor. He also is a good teacher. He also is here to seek and save the lost, so he's an evangelist. He is all five. But I'd like to balance it out a little bit today because so many of us have only seen Jesus the great shepherd and maybe not Jesus the great apostle. So let's bring some balance to that. So we've talked a lot in the last few years about identity. We've also talked about the kingdom. Now, the really good thing about that is when you start talking about the kingdom, the king came 2,000 years ago. He established the kingdom. It's been advancing and growing in the earth. That creates long-term thinking. It creates an optimistic view toward the future. And it means you actually get to be involved, that you're going to see the kingdom advance in your lifetime. So that's all really good news. Um, Yet there's, there's more to see. On one side, there's kingdom focus. On another side, there's a new covenant, which tells you who you are. That's a very identity message. But now we talk about apostolic. It's a whole other flavor that we have to look at the models of apostles that what we see going on in their life. What are they like if they're a model for us? Now, we want to advance the kingdom. We want to understand our identity through a new covenant lens and relationship with the Father. But we ourselves want to be apostolic in our mindset, our perspective, and our thinking. Do you see the difference here? And the supernatural is a part of all of that. So, I just want to make sure we're not overlapping these terms and going... Kingdom, apostolic, new covenant, it's all the same. They're actually different parts that all need to go together. I want to read a passage to, to us here, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And if you would pull it up on your phone or your Bible or however you pull it up, I want you to see this too. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 
Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in Corinth. Paul is writing to correct it. Uh, but one of the things that was going on is that there were people who claimed to be the apostles in Corinth, and they called themselves super apostles. It's actually a word used in, in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 11. He, he's, he refers to the super apostles. Um, but we're in chapter 11 right now, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and he is laying out the case for his apostleship. This is part of what he says. We'll pick up in verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? Am I out of my mind to talk like this? I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone often without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and fastings often. I have been cold and naked. Beside everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Huge list of horrible things that he's been through. And his cherry on top is, I face my own daily pressure, which is my concern for the churches. He has had this horrible stuff happen to him. But what is the weightiest thing on his list? The final thing? His concern that weighs on his own heart for the churches. What? (laughs) I would have thought it was the open sea and the fear of sharks or like, I don't know what you would put at the top of the list. But besides everything else, I face daily my concern for the churches. That's something that comes with the apostolic grace, is a concern for the church. Not in just a pastoral sense, but in in his apostolic sense, it's shoving the church forward, advancing the kingdom, moving the kingdom forward with the time that you have. You go another chapter ahead, and in 2 Corinthians 12, verse uh, 15, So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. I I love the way that this, this verse is in the New King James, to spend and be spent, that he'll just lay and put out his life, that this is an apostolic mindset that's self-sacrificing, that's not just self-sacrificing to be a nice person, but is self-sacrificing to advance the kingdom. This should be in us as well. You know, when, when I see... I have lots of strange thoughts when I see terrorist attacks. Very strange thoughts. One, I want to see somebody to show up and raise 49 people from the dead. Yeah. 
That's just normal apostolic thinking, but it's strange for many Christians, unfortunately. But it's just good apostolic thinking. Why? Where are the Christians in Florida? Is, is there a Christian in Florida that's going to go raise the dead? Now, there is. There are good Christians in Florida. Sorry, anyone on the podcast. I'm not judging Florida. But there's, there's obviously a challenge in our culture to get access, and you have to have relationship or something. Jesus was just sort of invited in to raise the dead everywhere he went, so that makes things a little easier, a little harder for us. But another weird thought that comes up for me when I see situations like this, we, the, the reality of the matter is we have Islamic extremists. And I see that and go, where are our Christian extremists? I'm not, I'm not talking about mentally ill psychopaths that go blow things up and call themselves a Christian. That's not a Christian. I'm saying a Christian extremist. When you look at an Islamic extremist, they usually are very highly educated in the Koran. They're the ones who actually read it and study it and get advanced, advanced degrees. Do you know the guy who heads up ISIS has a PhD in Koran studies? They actually are reading it, and they're faithfully following it, and it produces really bad fruit. Nod like you agree, okay? Thank you. My mom will. All right. So so what if we had people who read, studied, wanted to follow the example of the apostles? You'd be an extremist, and people would talk about you. You'd be Todd White or Heidi Baker or other normal apostolic people this is the kind of stuff that we need to go after to be apostolically hearted I want to be a Christian extremist I want people to talk about the impact that's happened 100 years after I'm dead because I'm not here for anything else I mean maybe maybe you have something else going on but I don't Beth doesn't. It says in Acts 17, uh, 26, Paul is arguing in Athens, and I just love this back and forth. I mean, the whole Acts 17, you should do, you should read it again. It is a fun passage. But in verse 26, he makes this little argument. He says, from one man, speaking of Adam, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. You were planned. Maybe your parents lied to you and said you weren't. You were planned. You were planned a long time ago. He knew when he was going to put you and he knew where he was going to put you. You could have been born in Australia you could be born in Europe, you could be born in Africa, you could be born a lot of different places, but he chose to put you here. At least the majority in this room, he chose to drop you right here in this city at the time that he did, so you'd be the age you are right now, so that you can have the access to the things that you have access to, and be a part of advancing the kingdom in the way that you're called to do it. And every age has to figure it out in their own way. When it was the Moravians, they'd sell themselves into slavery because they couldn't afford a ticket to the colonies. And so they would get to the colonies and become a slave to reach the slaves for Christ. 
And we don't have to do that now. You can get on a plane. And you don't have to sell yourself into slavery to do this. But you get to do something, and you've been given a whole different time period. I, I think, uh, you know, maybe some of us are feeling that bone adjusting. If you guys remember Ephesians 4.12, we talked about this the last time. The word for equip is actually a medical term for adjusting bones. And I, I'm... Some cracking is maybe happening, and that's good. I, I want to crack you today. We need to be adjusted. And, you know, it's just important that we don't become what, what I would refer to as, uh, instead of a Christian extremist, the other end of the spectrum is a Christian uh, reviewer. You hear a message, and you're like, um, three stars. And, you know, we, I'm surprised we don't have like sermonyelp.com or something, you know. But there, you know, we have these, we have this perspective and we, we read our, our, you know, we read our theological books and we come and we argue with the speaker after they're done speaking and we, you know, we, we nitpick and we do our whole little thing and yet in the end, are we being apostolic? Are we being apostolically minded? Are we, are we taking this on for ourselves to run with it? Or are we being a Christian reviewer? And I don't want to be a Christian reviewer. I, that's not what I'm here for. That's not what you're here for. That's not why he planned you out where you're going to be, when you're going to be, to drop you here so that you could just try to sort of criticize or review or you know, half-heartedly participate in the kingdom. That's not it. That's not it. That's not what you're here for. It's no fun. You're not going to enjoy this life. You're, you're going to not enjoy being a Christian because that's, that's just not, that's not what it's about. But you're going to enjoy it a lot more if we get up and go after this. So, Who can give me five minutes? Five, ten, fifteen. <laughs> I'm only going to go a few more minutes, and we're going to take like a weird left turn, and Steve doesn't know what I'm going to talk about, which is great. But uh, considering this, all right, who's with me as far as I, all right, I'm stirred up a little bit. Raise your hand if you're stirred up a little bit. Okay, I got like, 10%. Yay! I got a tithe of you. All right. What? <laughs> Are you saying in yourself, yeah, I do want to be, I want to be more extreme than I am right now. At least that. Give me that, okay? One hand? Okay, good. All right. So on one side, we're willing to go after this and lay our life down, right? Yes. Okay. I'm going to say yes. All right. I'll say yes for you. Um, we're willing to do that. On the other side, what I want to ask us, are you willing to lay down your wallet? We're willing to lay down our life, but are you willing to lay down your wallet? Now, I hate tithing. I preach against tithing. I preach against it being old covenant and law, but there's something else. For some of us, we have been faithful givers, and God bless you. I'm not talking to you. 
But for some of us, we may be new believers. We may never have walked in the church before. We may have an attitude against money and the church, and we don't ever want to talk about it. Let's never talk about money at church, right? You don't talk about politics, you don't talk about sex, and you don't talk about money, right? So thankfully, I'm just going to talk about money right now. But... <laughs> but it says in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So why am I talking about treasure? Because I'm talking about your heart. I'm talking about us having an apostolic heart. I'm talking about us advancing the kingdom, laying down your life, living for the time you're here, going after you were planted here in this world at this time, in this place, for a purpose to be apostolic, to advance the kingdom for the limited time that you've been given. So with that, if that's your heart, you should put your treasure behind it too. Now, I could, I could make a call on so many different angles on this, like, who's called the missions? Who's called to die as a martyr? Who's called, you know, and I could, I could throw up a lot of different things, but this is the one I felt led to talk about. And why? Because I'm not on staff here. I get nothing from New Hope, and I'm totally happy with that. This is great. They gave me, Ralph gave me the old dance closet, and... <laughs> We remodeled it, and it's beautiful, and I'm so honored to have an office here. I say that humorously. But I don't receive a salary, and it might be a little easier for me to talk about money with us as just a member here. Can you guys hear me? I'm not talking to you as a staff person. I'm not talking to you out of need. I don't know numbers. I don't know what's going on. But I'm talking to you out of the grace on my life, which is an apostolic grace. So I want to talk to you out of that and out of being a member here that cares about this body, that we get this, we move forward, we go for it, and that we see what's really happening in, in this place. A part of it for me is uh, in a little bit, just three verses later, he says uh, in Matthew six twenty four, he talks about that you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and you can't serve money. He says God and mammon in the, old, in, in the old King James. You guys remember mammon? Is that more? Yeah. All right. Anyway, you can't have two masters. I say it this way. You can master money or money can master you. Often it's the lower and middle classes that are mastered by money. I know we look at rich people and go, oh, man, they must be just so tormented by all that money that they have. But the reality is if you're in one of those other positions, money actually hangs over your head just out of reach and it controls your actions. It masters you rather than you mastering it. See, Jesus wasn't sitting around talking to a bunch of super wealthy people at the Sermon on the Mount. Being controlled by money rather than being free to follow the Holy Spirit is a very bad place to live. So here's my picture of how this works. God is the master, right? You've got two masters as options. God is your master, which makes, which should make in our life, money our servant. Yes, you so you can either have, have uh, God, uh, money be your master, and then you're the servant, or God can be your master, and now money becomes your servant. You get to make choices. You get to tell it what to do. You get to direct it. You're in charge of it. Right. Yeah. 
Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2 to raise up leaders that would raise up leaders. I'm paraphrasing it slightly for time, but raise up those who will teach others. So we're not just raising up the next generation, but we're thinking generationally, which is one of the core values of New Hope is to think generationally, which is to think long term. An apostolic mindset is very uncomfortable for some of us because we think short term. We've been taught rapture is about to happen or Islam's about to take over the world or whatever, you know, fallout scenario you've, you, you know, Russia is, you know, whatever in the Cold War and, you know, whatever, wherever we got stuck in thinking short term and we've been stuck there. But we want to think long term together. That is apostolically minded. Sorry, nursery workers. I'm going to go a couple more minutes. Um, I was deeply impacted by a couple that used to go to this church. They, they've moved. Um, for the sake of the recording, I won't mention their last name, but Tom and Elizabeth, years ago, we're talking 12 years ago, when they didn't go to this church, they went to a church in Aroundaquite, a vineyard church. Our vineyard that I went, met my wife at, we went there and we ministered one or two Sundays And I shared that I was going to Brazil with Randy Clark and that I was trying to raise funds for this. And I had something like $6,000 that I had to raise for this month-long trip with Randy Clark. And I was getting to the point of just not believing that I should go because the finances were not coming in. And they blessed me with a very large check. And it really was the the one large check that really made a difference. That as a, as a 19-year-old, to believe God for a number way outside of anything I'd ever had <clears throat> and to go after it, and they saw something and they sewed into it. And because of that happening in my life, they changed the course of my life. I wouldn't have written School of the Seers. I wouldn't have written the other nine books. I wouldn't have gone with Randy Clark and seen 10 healings a day for 30 days and been deeply, profoundly impacted. And all of that because of of just one check that a couple wrote. And we, we don't know, and we don't hear sometimes what's going on, and we don't see the impact perhaps. And... So maybe you don't know what you're giving is always doing. But it's doing something. It does affect the kingdom. And it causes a ripple effect. There, I, I believe the Lord's going to honor each one of those stories. That you've impacted people with your giving. You've changed things. You've done things that you may not have realized. And it'll come back to you. In, in some way because the Lord honors those who give. I'd love to see, I'd love to see New Hope have the overflow of funds so that if any of the teens here wanted to go do some dream in their heart that God's given them, we could get behind it. I, I, because of how I've been impacted, I can speak to that one. But I know there's so many other dreams, and I'm not discounting anybody who's not in the youth group.
but I'd love to be able to see anybody have dreams in their heart and us to be able to go after them because we have a generous, apostolic, kingdom, new covenant-hearted church. And we're going to go after it together. So I'd love to see us overflowing with the ability to do everything that's in God's heart for the west side of Rochester. I could very easily picture uh, New Hope having two Sunday morning services, having a fiery Friday night youth group here that is the talk of west side of Rochester. I could see us having a Sunday night supernatural service with guest speakers uh, coming through and, and pouring into what God's doing in this region. I can see all that right here, right now. I don't have to see the building next door get finished for that. I see that in my heart now. I, I have a passion to see that happen, and I see that we are moving in that direction. And if you haven't lift up your eyes and looked around in a while, maybe you haven't seen, we're, right, we're on the cusp of some of this. This stuff is moving forward. So I said we're going to be apostolically minded. Here's my, my final thought, and I'm, I'm not going to put offering buckets out or anything. Nobody knew that I was going to talk about what I just did. So... Uh, what I want to land on is a last passage, which is in 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Paul's writing to the Corinthians about an offering, and he says, Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. That is amazingly practical. Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Okay. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. If you want to be apostolically minded, kingdom minded, new covenant, go after this. If, if your heart is at new hope, where your treasure should also be a new hope. And I say that as a non-new hope staff member. I get nothing from what I'm telling you. Do you understand? Except that I'm a member of this body like you. So, taking this apostolic advice, because I don't believe, I've never heard it, and we will never hear it here. I will get, I will be against it if we do, manipulation, or old covenant law, or God's going to curse you, you're never going to hear that from here. And if you do, it's not from me, and we will deal with it. And it might be a guest speaker we have to challenge, but it's not going to come from this house or this leadership. We don't believe in that. But what we do believe in is the freedom of the new covenant, where Paul also says to give what's in your heart to give. And here he says to lay aside a sum of money. I'm asking for you to talk to the Holy Spirit right now and to get that sum in your heart and start to make a commitment if you never have. If you never have and you're saying, you know what, my heart is here. This is my place. My heart is here. I want my treasure to be here too. And, and you can give other places as well. We have other ministries we support also. But I would say if your heart is here, your treasure should be here too. And I'm not saying... And then you'll be blessed a thousandfold and God will give you Ferraris and stuff. 
No, I'm just saying this is, this is apostolically minded and we want to go after this together. Amen? Amen? So let's do this. Close your eyes with me for a moment. Holy Spirit, I welcome you. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are so freeing and you always provide freedom. And Lord, thank you that we are already blessed in Christ that you've taken care of us, that you've put us here in this time, in this place. And Lord, you've richly, richly blessed us as North Americans. Thank you for that. And so I ask that those who, this is the place where their heart is, that you'd speak to them also about their treasure. (laughs) And whether it's time, whether it's financial input, whether it's uh, their wisdom, their knowledge, their skill of their hands. I speak to every heart right now. Holy Spirit, we invite you to talk to every heart about what should be set aside on a regular basis for putting our treasure where our heart is. And we're just going to take 30 seconds and just listen as you listen to the Holy Spirit for yourself. Father, I thank you that you are such a good father and that you always honor that when we pour out, you pour out more. And I thank you that you take care of us and that you provide for us. And I thank you for the bones that have been adjusted today, Lord, that we would lay our lives down even as you did, even as Paul did, even as the other apostles all did, that, Lord, we would devote ourselves to being like the apostles, and like you, our chief apostle. Father, I ask for an apostolic mindset to be implanted here at New Hope. I thank you for what you're doing in this body, and I bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. We really hope you enjoyed this week's message. Please join us again sometime. Be sure to check out our exciting resources at newhope.com.